Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the top two at two o'clock each day at this time. Here on Live Mike, we bring you the top two stories at two o'clock. What qualifies as one of the top two at two, it is something that you would take home to your kitchen table and to bait and discuss with your family. Something going on uh, here in our community, in the country, across the globe, uh, anything. Anything worthy of discussion at your home as you break bread with your family in the evening makes it to the top two at 2 o'clock. I look through the, the rundown, the things we discuss on each day's program, and I ask myself, what would I, what would I like to discuss uh, from these stories here with, uh, with my family? And today, the first story comes from uh, the state of Georgia. Prosecutors in Georgia have opened a criminal investigation into former uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, and alleged attempts to overturn uh, Georgia's election results here uh, with a, a report on exactly uh, what's going on is uh, ABC News. Brad, what are we going to do? On January 2nd, the then-President Trump called there. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and asked him to find enough votes to overturn Joe Biden's victory in the state. I think you have to say that you're going to re-examine it. The call may have violated several state laws. Raffensperger has begun an administrative inquiry, and now Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has asked him to preserve documents for a criminal investigation into attempts to influence the election. Georgia is now the second state after New York in which the former president faces criminal exposure. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, here's that letter. I have it right in front of me. The one drafted by Fannie Willis, district attorney uh, in the state of Georgia, specifically uh, in Fulton County. The letter was sent to the governor's office, the secretary of state, the attorney general, and the U.S. attorney's office in the northern district of Georgia. The reason the reason why uh, such a letter has been sent to all of those uh, offices is that contact was made by the president or it's suspected that contact was made by President Trump or someone working on his behalf uh, on his behalf to each one of these offices, thus making them witnesses. In fact, the letter says, As such, this office, the Office of the District Attorney of Fulton County, is the one agency with jurisdiction that is not a witness to the conduct that is the subject of the investigation. This agency has jurisdiction over this matter because the judicial circuit is where the the Georgia government entities that were contacted are headquartered, including the governor's office, the office of the secretary of state, the attorney general, and the general assembly. Now, here's the meat of the letter. This is what is being requested by uh, the district attorney. She writes, this letter is notification 
that all records potentially related to the administration of the 2020 general election must be preserved, with particular care being given to uh, set aside and preserve those that may be evidence of attempts to influence the actions of persons who were administering uh, that election. There's added then invitation to remind staff not to destroy records. And if you've got, uh, you know, some sort of uh, burn schedule in place, meaning if you periodically dispose of records in your office, either digitally or in the shredder or the incinerator, uh, hold off on shredding things. Hold off. We're going to want to look at those things. And the question that comes to my mind is if there was an attempt to overturn the election and the, the, the evidence is, you know, what we heard in that phone call. In fact, here, let me uh, click back up here. I'll share with you uh, some, of the, some of the hits from that phone call. Remember this? Look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. That coming as part of that hour-long phone conversation between President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, Is the contents of that phone call uh, sufficient to uh, bring about uh, such an investigation like this undertaken by the district attorney? Uh, I I don't know. I I really don't know. Joe, Joe Biden is the president today. It is President Joe Biden residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I know that attempts... Uh, to uh, commit crimes are often, uh, you know, just as damning as committing the crime itself. And so I'm not making any excuses for anyone. Uh, But if there is discretion allowed to uh, the district attorney and anyone else engaged in investigations into that phone call and the attempts to uh, change the minds of either secretaries of state, lieutenants governor or certain assemblies, you know, the voters ultimately did have their voice heard. It is not Donald Trump residing in the White House today. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know. Some of you are, though. 57500. If you have any thoughts on that, please share them. 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. And now the second story of the day. Uh, A fascinating study, uh, in part authored by a professor with the University of Utah, Dan Carlson. And it has to do with the breakdown of household labor in the home and also taking care of the kids. So child care and chores. Historically and unfortunately, that has disproportionately fallen upon the shoulders of, of mom, of the wife in the home. And an interesting thing has emerged, an interesting reality, an interesting shift, which has been observed by this University of Utah sociologist, Uh, Mr. Carlson and others involved in the study, and that is that during the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been a shift towards more equitable homes when it comes to division of labor. Those are the chores, and that's taking care of the kids. And it's all happened uh, thus far in the midst of the pandemic. You don't like to talk about the pandemic as an opportunity, but it certainly is a moment that you know, provides parents the opportunity to stop and think. So if, if you were to stop and think and you look back over the past year, uh, going back to what, March, when we all got sent home from work, <laughs> at least many of us, has, the, has there been a shift? And think, too, about the responsibility of offering care to, to your children. 
you know, m- many students are back in the classroom today, but for how long was it the case that everyone was at home remote learning? And, you know, youngsters of a certain age are uh, too young to be cared for themselves. And if mom and dad have jobs, how did those responsibilities get divided up? Was it a more equitable approach than it has been maybe historically? As we seek for silver linings in this pandemic, I remember earlier uh, observing uh, a number of firsts at at my home. I got that little baby Piper. Uh, I saw her take her first bite of solid food. That was exciting, and that came about only because I was working from home. I've seen uh, some of her first steps. I think there are certainly silver linings. And the question on this one is, as we have moved closer towards equity in the home in terms of division of labor, sharing the chores and sharing the child care, let's not backslide. When normalcy is uh, reapproached, as we get back to living life the way we used to, uh, let's let's not backslide. In fact, let's do things even better. What do you say to that? Five seven five zero zero Utah Community Credit Union text line. Your chance to weigh in. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, very much looking forward to this next conversation. We're going to speak with KSL Television's Matt Gephardt. Uh, he uh, undertook uh, an investigative piece where he looks at the PPP loans. Some Utahns, turns out, are going to have to pay some of it back. We'll get the details from Matt Gephardt next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.